Welcome to this week's episode of The Read Out Loud, a weekly biotech podcast from STAT. I'm Allison DeAngelis. I'm Adam Feuerstein. And I'm Damian Gardick. It's Thursday, February 29th, and here's what we're going to talk about this week. The biggest craze in biotech finance is raising money through what can be described as legal insider trading. We explain the rise of pipe financings and why not everyone thinks they're such a good idea. We'll also discuss the latest news in the life sciences, including a banner month for biotech stocks and the latest twists in obesity research. All that after a word from our sponsor. Hey, Read Out Loud listeners, Bob Herman here, Stats Business of Healthcare reporter and the writer behind the newsletter, Healthcare Inc. Healthcare Inc. is a weekly newsletter devoted to unpacking the business and secret inner workings of the U.S. healthcare industry. If you're someone who has ever received a medical bill or craves in-depth policy explainers or loves a playful meme now and again, I highly recommend you check this newsletter out. Learn more at the link in this episode's description. And now, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks. So guys, happy leap year day, February 29th. This is like an extra podcast, right? I mean, sort of. We do it weekly, so it would be March 1st if this were... <laughs> I guess let's that's just, true. Let's call Come it an on, extra Damian, podcast. I'm, I think that's right. Sorry, I'm trying guys. to like... I'm like making it fun, you know? It's an extra podcast. It's the leap year podcast. <laughs> I'm trying to remember I mean, what the cultural like surprises are that can happen around leap year. Like, do we? I think, I think leap year, leap year should be like the purge day where you can do something <laughs> that you should, normally shouldn't be allowed to do every four years. In many ways, that's what this podcast is for all three of us. <laughs> um, yes, indeed. Well, okay. To keep this a little unhinged, um, Adam, Damien, I'm going to ask you both to give me your best uh, biotech is back, baby little statement. Oh, you want us like to, to. I want you to sell it. We're excited. Biotech is back. Sell it to me. So you want like a D, like a DJ voice? Yeah. Like, you know, something. Yeah. Hmm. Biotech is back, baby. <laughs> I probably blew out speakers. Yeah, that's not very good. I'm so much more comfortable. Yeah, come on, Damien. With like the sad intonation of the newscaster pivoting from the cat in the tree story to <laughs> the, you know, colossal tragedy story of like biotech okay. is back. Um, but it is. Or well, let's... <laughs> <laughs> it's having a, it's having another moment. This maybe is how the way that we should because it could it's fleeting, and we should have a disclaimer, right? That once we say that biotech is back tomorrow, right, all things fall apart. We cannot so guarantee sorry that about as you that, listen guys. to this, biotech is not in fact once again <laughs> departed. But at least as we speak, uh, the closely watched XBI biotech index is having a massive February. It was up just six percent on Monday alone. It's up fourteen percent. For 2024, this, of course, follows a dismal 2022 and a volatile, largely negative, but toward the end, positive 2023. Um, And I think what's notable about the February moment for biotech, if in fact it persists into March, or even if it doesn't, is that unlike the uptick we saw in the fourth quarter of 2023, that one, I think, was largely tied to like inflation and macroeconomic Things and a notion that you know rate hikes were coming to an end and interest rates might actually be reduced in 2024, which would be good for sort of risk on sectors like biotech. In February, at least as far as I can tell, and certainly this week, the reasons for biotech's uh, 
outperforming the broader market is actually biotech specific. Like companies had good data and like things happened that suggested that the sector was relatively undervalued during all of its underperforming days rather than just it moving as a basket of stocks along with whatever the Fed was saying. What a concept. And it's also noteworthy, Damien, that um, this is all happening in the really kind of in the absence of M&A. Right. I mean, we had the sort of flurry of M&A late last year and in January, and everyone thought that that was going to um, that was going to lead to just, you know, a regular, almost weekly announcement of, of acquisitions. And it really hasn't happened. Right. We haven't had a, like a big, big deal. So that's also kind of interesting because I think that's something that people often look at as kind of a, a triggering point for for the for a rally in the sector. But, you know, it, it's been doing that without without M&A. So then what do we attribute it to? There have been a, a I wouldn't be, go so far as to call it a resurgence of biotech IPOs, but certainly the uh, so-called window has cracked open more than it was in 2023 so far. And everything that I'm hearing from the startup side indicates that, that more biotechs are you know very seriously putting you know their S1s, they're printing them out, they're getting ready to hand them over to the SEC. What else would you guys attribute this this surprise February to? Well, it, obesity, <laughs> right? It's like it's always it's always easy it's always good to it's easy to fall back on obesity, right? Uh, you know, we had you know to Damien's point, we talked about this this week. Uh, you know, we had the data from Viking Therapeutics, which has an an early stage obesity drug candidate, uh, which had, looks had some positive data, and you know, I guess. You know, I think maybe opinions sort of differ on how good and how strong those data are, but uh, it's certainly in the ballpark of kind of the ZEP bound like obese like like efficacy, right? Of the the Lily mm-hmm. uh, the Lily obesity drug. So here's a biotech company developing, you know, again, uh, you know, sort of same the GLP one class of of drugs, and it looks really good and look really promising, and and you know, it's pr- remarkable what that has done. I mean, if you just want to talk about stock prices and Viking, I mean. That drug, you know, Matt, our colleague Matt Herper, wrote wrote about the first first data from that drug about a year ago, and the company was worth about seven hundred million dollars back then. Today, as I as I as we record this, and I'm looking here, that Viking is now worth uh, more than nine billion. Wow! <laughs> um, with with much of that coming this week, and that just shows you again, as we've talked uh, on this podcast before, just. Um, how much investors are craving, obsessing over anything obesity related and bidding up the value of companies with with anything related to obesity. Yeah, I think that's an apt point. And we also, you know, at Stat updated our, um, I'm going to do a little plug, updated our obesity trial tracker this week and actually dove into a related area um, that my colleague Elaine Chen wrote about um, that a lot of obesity treatments are starting to have ripple effects elsewhere, particularly in the MASH fields. Almost a fifth um, of obesity treatments that are in development are also being treated for the fatty liver disease, MASH, previously known as NASH, um, and they are dashing into that field of development. I'm I'm firing myself for that pun. Um, <laughs> But then that also culminated this week. We had some more. We had some exciting mash data from the Danish biotech Zeeland Pharma and the German firm Beringer Ingelheim um, about a phase two success in mash. So there is certainly traction in the weight loss and relateds 
field. Yeah, and, and that drug that you mentioned, uh, Allison, uh, is you know kind of a uh, you know sort of obesity-like drug that looks now may might have an impact on uh, liver fibrosis or liver scarring in MASH patients, which is something that we haven't seen with other drugs yet. And and it's you know we don't there's not a lot of details about what that drug does, and there's some sort of specifics about the way that they studied it, which might, you know, make me hard to compare. But again, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, just more of the same, right? And then I think that's contributing to what we're seeing overall in biotech. So one facet of biotech's resurgence is that we've seen a lot of companies that previously may have struggled to raise money owing to market conditions, raising hundreds of millions, in fact, billions of dollars in 2024. But they haven't largely been doing it the old fashioned way of a stock offering where you get some bankers to um, basically flog your shares to potentially interested investors on the open market, but rather through a not novel but newly popular, I would say, mechanism called a pipe, a private investment in public equity, which comes with well, it comes with a lot of interesting nuance. Adam, you delved deeply into the many nuances and, and kind of emerging controversies in this world. Tell us about pipes. Yeah, pipes. Um, as you said, Damien, uh, these are really kind of interesting uh, hybrid sort of financing uh, vehicles that have been, like I said, have been around for a really long time. Uh, it, old, old folks will sort of re- will remember them as kind of being the way, it's sort of a last resort type of financing that sketchy companies used to raise money. Uh, they've sort of they've been more mainstreamed uh, these days, and particularly in biotech, the wrinkle with pipes uh, now is that that's sort of the, the the variety that's that's out there right now is called it's essentially called like a wall cross pipe. And what that means essentially is that um, these transactions, like the secret sauce of these transactions is the sharing of material non-public information between the companies and the investors in these pipe syndicates. And, and these investors are mostly hedge funds, hedge funds and mutual funds. Um, so they get access to uh, material stock moving information um, you know, under sort of confidential terms and in exchange, uh, they help rate these companies raise money. And we have seen just a ton of pipes this year already. I mean, they started they started really picking up last year and it kind of got on my radar screen because you saw more and more of them. So I started tracking these pipes and put together a spreadsheet. And um, as of yesterday, there had been about 30 of these pipe transactions in biotech that had raised a cumulative total of more than $4 billion. So we're talking about a lot of money being raised in these pipe transactions. And it's really sort of for certainly for like the development stage biotech company. Um, so, you know, kind of that early mid-stage company that don't have products on the market yet um, that are certainly need a lot of cash to develop whatever they, whatever drugs they are developing. Um, this has become kind of the preferred, almost the preferred way of raising money as opposed to kind of the traditional follow-on equity offering in the in the public markets, Damien, that you alluded to. Wait, why would that be advantageous compared to a kind of classic follow-on, you know, stock sale? Yeah, well, I, I should note, and, and you know, I said, like, you know, the secret sauce here, again, is this sort of sharing of material non-public information that happens. Uh, and the question is really, like, you know, 
why is that allowed, <laughs> right? I mean, isn't that insider trading? I mean, how how are you how are you? I mean, and in in certain examples that have happened this year, I'm talking about like companies raising money and you know and basically sharing clinical trial results with these investors like a week before those results are made public, so they get sort of a, an advanced look at the data in exchange for this raising of money. Um, and the way that this is legal, or at least it's legal today, is that in, in, in order to do these deals and sort of get this confidential information, the investors are locked up. So essentially, they are not allowed to trade the stock that they acquire um, for until two things happen. One is that you know that non-public uh, information becomes public, so it's announced. So that has to happen first. And also, these shares are not registered with the SEC. And so until those shares are registered and that registration is accepted by the SEC, then those shares are not tradable. tradable. And so that usually happens like 30 to 45 days after these deals are closed. So essentially, what's happening is, yes, these, these funds are getting this, you know, early look at market moving information, but yet they can't actually trade on those data. Uh, they can't trade those shares. So that's the frame, that's the legal framework of these deals. And th- that is why proponents of these deals uh, say that this is not inter- insider trading, that these, this is completely legitimate. Um, now there are, there's a lot of pushback on these pipes. <laughs> Um, I wrote, like I said, I wrote this column today and my DMs and texts are blowing up. I got to be honest with you. Um, there are a lot of, there are a lot of investors out there and there are a lot of companies out there who just don't think that this is, that, that these pipes are fair. They wonder about the legality of them. And, you know, this is like sort of a loophole that no one had ever thought of before. So yes, it may be technically legal, but, you know, will the SEC ever like crack down on these things? And that's, you know, remains to be seen. But, you know, from an issue of fairness, you can see why people would be um, frustrated uh, and and maybe angry about these things, because, you know, you're essentially, even if you can't, even with these restrictions in place, you're still getting a head start. Like, you know, if you're in a race and somebody, you know, starts early, you know, it's really hard to catch up to the person who has the head start. So it's certainly... It's not a level playing field. It, and not that, you know, anything on Wall Street or investing is ever fair, right? There's always going <laughs> to be people who take advantage, have the advantage. And this is, pipes are one of those things. But I think the fact that there were just so many more than, and, you know, in, maybe in, in the past, these were sort of more, you know, they weren't they weren't so frequent and were, these deals were not so common, but they have become so commonplace. I mean, literally, we're seeing pipe deals done every day. Like there was another one today. Um, this morning, I, you know, my every morning I'm like adding to the spreadsheet of my of these pipe deals. So I think as they become so more ubiquitous in biotech, the complaints and the concerns about them are growing. Well, and that's what's interesting because I understand this sort of win-win framing of it. If you're the company, these pipes are usually priced at higher than the current market value of your stock. So there's a you have a financial interest or a financial incentive to do this rather than the old-fashioned follow-on offering. And then for the hedge funds buying in, there's an obvious uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> enticement, which is that you know it's not every day you get to, one, get non-public information, and two, um, not go to jail for making money on it. Um, that's important. Not going to jail, that is. But I am curious <laughs> as to, because this reminded me, the last sort of 
trendy financial instrument that we all bore witness to in biotech and in, in the market at large was the SPAC. Mm. Um, it mm-hmm. had its heyday right. a few years ago, and then it fell away for, well, for a multitude of reasons, but the main one being, one, there were too many SPACs, two, there were a lot of low quality SPACs, and three, like everything just kind of fell apart. Like the, the win-win nature of it went away. And so I wonder being that Wall Street is a place that is kind of a, a, a me-too area that is prone to following trends and then immediately abandoning them when they go sour, I wonder what might undo the pipe moment. I guess if there were a series of these blinded right. data pipes, these these uh, insider information pipes that were later, <laughs> once the news was made public, it didn't go the way that perhaps the people buying into the fund thought it would, and that might kind of tank enthusiasm for this. I don't know. How do you think this will bear out even for the rest of 2024 and beyond? Well, Damien, I think, you know, to your point, going even further back, I mean, you can think about it, crossover, the crossover rounds, which was another way that hedge funds made money, right? You know, hedge funds used to only invest in public companies. Mm -hmm. Then they they got the idea of, hey, let's do a crossover round for private companies. And, you know, we do that right before they go public. So that was a way to make money. And then that maybe that fell off a little bit. And then, as you mentioned, then it became SPACs and the SPACs became a way. And then SPACs fell off. And now we have these crossed wall pipes. It's sort of, it's the latest vehicle. You know, hedge funds will always find a way to get an edge, right, to make more money uh, than they have previously. And so there is, to some extent, these cross wall pipes are the, are the latest, are the new SPAC, you know, to be pretty simple about it, right? I mean, I think, you know, to be fair on the other side, I mean, I think there is uh, there is an element of, you know, this is this is a way because because the investors who are going into these pipes are generally pretty sophisticated biotech specialist funds, right? And so, you know, it is an idea from a biotech company perspective is not only they're getting money, but they're getting, you know, they're getting a good base of shareholders, right? They want they want these funds in, in you know, they want these funds to invest in them. Um, the funds themselves want to be able to sort of dig deep into these companies, you know, maybe get a little bit of material information to make a decision as to sort of whether or not they want to invest. So like, you can kind of see where there there is a win-win, you know, where this goes wrong and where it goes off the rails. I mean, I think one of the questions that people ask is how far or how much material information are these companies, go- are, are funds going to get from companies in order to do these deals, right? Um, what we've seen so far are, you know, clinical trial results. Um, we had one this week where it was a regulatory, it wasn't an approval, but it was an acceptance of an FDA application was sort of mm. the trigger. For th- but what stops a company from bringing investors over the wall about a really big lucrative pharma partnership, let's say? Um, what stops them from you know sharing earnings ahead of time? What stops them from sharing? How, how about an acquisition? How about if a company is about to be acquired or is sort of entering into the a sale process? Would you would you take investors under over the wall to raise money to sort of help bolster your negotiating position? When it comes to negotiating a, a takeout, um, you know these are all, you know, it's sort of like there seems to be sort of no limit right now in terms of what kind of information can be shared under these pipe arrangements, and I think that's what has people concerned. So that may be something where if it gets a little bit crazy, the regulators step in, you know. And the other thing is, is that you know, as I mentioned in the story, you know, Wall Street has this sort of chronic habit of of just going too far 
you know, um, and getting fat, lazy, and stupid when they, you know, when they find a new way to make money. And so there's there there inevitably would be a time where maybe like there are shortcuts taken. Um, there are ways to like I mentioned all of these restrictions, but there are you know I've talked to uh, I talked to someone who's really experienced in pipes. And you know there are ways to trade around those uh, restrictions. There's ways to use options. You know funds could use these pipes to cover shorts that you know they're losing shorts positions. Mm. Um, there are different ways that you know you can do, you can do things that maybe to sort of goose your returns that maybe are not exactly kosher. And those are the kind of things that that may you know kind of bring bring this to an end. I mean for now I, I think we're going to see more of these and. You know, again, I have heard from I have heard from some large institutional investors that hate that hate these deals. They think that they're not legal, and they refuse to do them. And I've talked to even some smaller um, hedge funds that feel the same way. They're just not comfortable from a compliance and legal framework that these deals are kosher and that they they so they have not done them. But at the same time, what's interesting is that those funds are worried because if they don't do these deals, are they are they losing a competitive edge against the funds that mm. do do them? Because right now these funds are, you know, these are these deals are working for the hedge funds and the investors who do them, right? So, you know, you you know, you obviously sort of benchmark yourself against your peers. And if you are if you are are you at a disadvantage by not participating in these pipes? So, you know, it's a fascinating topic and one that again, I wrote this large piece. A long piece today in Stat, and you should read it. I hope you will read it. And I think that this is something that I'm going to be following for a while because I think that it's going to evolve and um, there's a lot more to say about it. Well, we are looking forward to talking about it more. It does feel like the 2024 um, version of SPAC. Also, I mean, the kind of the, for me, the vestiges of SPACs because those were the first context in which I ever heard about pipes. Um, Certainly feels oh, like yeah. it has the potential to like uphold that hot and cold trendiness of the spec. So Adam, keep yeah. us posted. And, and Allison, as you know, like getting like like crossover, you think about it, right? Yeah. Because you know this, because you 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 know you dig deep into the private world, right? Like you know, private companies used to be just funded by venture capitalists, right? And mm-hmm. it was always them. And then it was you know a lot of these funds didn't sort of enter into the conversation until the IPO, and then you know then it, then it sort of it all sort of morphed into one, right? Where these crossover rounds became dominated by hedge funds that typically invest in public equities. You know that. Um, because that was a way for them to make to, to basically generate a, a greater return on their investment. Oh, absolutely! All of the lines have blurred. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that the quest for free money on Wall Street has now matriculated into micro dosing insider trading, and I'm sure that, how could that possibly go wrong? <laughs> um, also, this we talked about this, you know, the blinded data pipe. Um, phenomenon as it began, I guess that was last year, maybe even a year and a half ago, um, which now whenever I see it, I don't remember which of you did this, but somebody put in my mind that the phrase blinded data pipe fits directly into the chorus of blinded by the light by Bruce Springsteen. And so now (laughs) even reading your story today, Adam, I just have that kind of reverberating through my mind. So that's at least one benefit. Blinded by the pipe. (laughs) <laughs> I sh- we should like come up with some more lyrics maybe maybe for next week's show we'll we'll have a whole song look i keep on that. joking about us doing a biotech version of the we are the world so this is our opportunity <laughs> <laughs> yeah there you go
And that does it for another episode of The Read Out Loud. Thank you to Teresa Gaffney for producing this week's episode. Our senior producers are Hyacinth Empanado and Alyssa Ambrose. Our executive producer is Rick Burke. And our theme music is by Brian Joel. And we'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you like about this week's episode, what you didn't like, and uh, your thoughts on pipes. You can do all that by sending us an email at readoutloud at statnews.com. And if you like what we do, leave a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you use to get your podcast. See you next week. Um, guys, we just went like, we went like 25 minutes. Well, you have to remember that the first six or so of that, uh, at least on my recording is, uh, you know, deep consideration of like Amy Adams career or something like that. So.